0: Today on the show, I'm happy to have Andy Terrell. He's the CTO of StoryFit. They simulate how audiences will respond to your story. We were just talking about product market fit. Yeah. So I can tell you a little bit about kind of StoryFit, how we got to where we are and their evolution
1: and like StoryFit, most people met our founder when she was doing book publishing. And so we, you go from a book publishing company to a media and entertainment company selling to the largest studios in Hollywood. And it's a quite different product. And that was an evolution of we had a product, an idea, some a system that was working and it did what it said it would do, it, it, but at the same time, it didn't actually sell, even though that's what people said they wanted. So the journey that the company has taken over the last six years is finding people who still have the need to analyze large amounts of text for their economic value in a way that's going to be both economically viable for them, but also viable for you as a company. And so let's dive into that story a little bit if you like. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so the, we do modeling and we've done NLP and in the last six years, modeling has changed. This little thing called ChatGPT has even made it change even faster, right? But the original kind of systems that were being built were like very traditional systems. Today, they call it traditional LP or shallow modeling and things like this. So even deep learning wasn't really that much of a thing when the company started. But they were able to come in and identify really quickly. Like, all right, th- this book is about this topic. And we have this many books that are doing so well, you mirror that with re- regular traditional data science and tabular data science. And you're able to say like, all right, we can give you a lot, a far better picture about what books look like if they're about their uh, crime books set in New York versus crime books set in Seattle versus, a, and so on, romances set in New York, romances set in Seattle, and so by just going one layer deeper, we're able to give a very accurate picture of how that economic prospect would do of that book. And one of the, the kind of ideas, like, all right, everybody has this problem. You get tons of submissions about books. You get tons of submissions about ideas and pitches and everything. Is and how do you sort through it? Like. Of the 100,000 that are published every year, like which one will actually be a winner? And so built this system at the company, 1,000 books a week, was able to like really uh, go through and pick out we saw what we thought would sell, like whether it meant that the editor was Greek really interested in it or whether it would actually hit, hit economic success or be a good candidate for one of the New York Times lists or like bestseller lists and things like that. But at the same time, like, All right, who's incentivized to actually use the system? And that, that became a big problem. And I think that's something I've seen throughout my career And I've worked at several kind of marketplace type systems where, all right, you have to have both sides of this transaction that you're helping. Like, all right, the people who use you, in our case, the authors and the people who want the output, like the editors like to say, oh, this is actually a winner. So you think of, oh. Authors will love us because they we can show editors how much of a winner they are. Or editors will love us because we can show how good their set of books are. They don't have to do as much work to understand the details of every book. They don't have to read every book that comes in, perhaps. So yeah, so that that's sitting down and working with both sides of that and trying to figure out the economic engine. And especially in like media, it seems like everyone's excited to work with you, but. Until the product's produced it, the dollar's rolling in, it's hard for them to understand the economics and it's art. Like it's hard to say this piece of art is going to be the successful piece and that one's not. And even if we have fancy algorithms, we're still kind of doing the same thing a human would do of judging art, just doing it faster. And so, yeah, in, in that case, it turns out the editors didn't really have enough money, enough money to support a system because they are working on very small margins and the writers had no money. So like the writers can give you lots of time. They give you lots of energy. They can't give you money. And then the editors, we could save them time, but they didn't really have a lot of money because publishing budgets are very small and so forth. So our kind of voyage to finding the next kind of spot was really about finding people who still had this problem. I have lots of content and. I have to like, it has to be economically successful. And that's where we ended up with the movie industry. It's one of these places where writers are still writers, you know, we're in the middle of a writer's circle, writers still pay very little compared to like studio execs, but they're also like a lot of money writing on these scripts and these, and how well the script will do over the course of this movie's lifetime. And so. There's a lot of incentive to take a script that would do just, just produce versus one that will really like drive viral attachment or drive, like really bring people in, like the difference between a franchise and just a few movie, a few episodes, right? Becomes really the difference between, you know, economic success and just avoiding embarrassing. Same ideas of finding the people who need the economic outcome to be better in our system, which can help you understand the economic reality of your written content. We ended up working a lot in the movie industry with a lot of the researchers who go through and research how well a movie is going to do. Are people interested? And there's been traditional focus groups for forever. They were getting tons of data, but it's always a very manual human process. So coming in using StoryFit, all right, at least we have something that can make that process very rote and like we can expect these models to come out of it and And we don't have to rely only on perhaps just a few people's opinions. We can rely on like the data and like what the data learns. Of course, the story isn't quite in there because the researchers, while they're tasked with making sure that a movie is good, (laughs) they're not the writers. And they are hired by a studio executive who wants to make sure that the writers, the script that they just bought, actually is good. So a large part of our system is actually geared towards helping creatives understand what we do. Why our machine thinks certain things. And so we will run tons of analysis and then we'll have a team that's actually helping translate that analysis into a, into something that's actually a tangible difference. That's like becomes a big part of the work of understanding the, that the clients who actually are willing to pay, there's a translation layer between the technology and their day-to-day life perhaps. And so just keep on noodling at that till you find
0: people who are willing to work with you and innovate versus toss you to the side, perhaps as yet another technology. So did you start finding a lot of success once you identified, okay, the movie industry is our target here?
1: Yeah, I think the, we definitely went from, we changed the business quite a bit where there's lots of books published in all over the world. There's only 120 movies that hit the main movie market. Streaming changed all that, but at the same time, it's been a roller coaster, if you will. In international, there's quite a bit of work we started doing with international folks, but the tenor definitely changed. Like, it no longer became, "How can I afford this?" To, "Hey, how fast can we get this out?" And so the the problems changed quite a bit. But the, the success of the companies has really changed once they pivoted away from just the standard book writer and the standard editor process of publishing to identifying the best qualities of a movie and like how to make
0: different movies better or like the movie better and get to those, the higher quality. So now is it's product is very focused on that and you're getting a lot of clients onboarding for that purpose? Yep. That's the, where we, where we focus all our attention and we're working with
1: a lot of studios. A lot of them, where the, the the studios are very, hush. <laughs> so we can't even tell you everybody we work with <laughs> sort that's- of thing, but uh, but it is the sort of thing where like we've gotten into a lot of really exciting projects and uh, very excited to
0: always work with the teams because it's making these movies is a huge team effort and we're just one part of that so what are the takeaways from going through that whole process if you know it's great product but you didn't have the right market at first what would you do differently if you go back and start over
1: yeah i think the the big one is be very clear about your kpis and your metrics and why people are using you and constantly be understanding that that customer it's not only why did they come? Why did they find you? Why did they use you What Why are they using you again? Are they using you again? I think the, I've come across more of the pirate metrics, the, with, which has, I forget all in it, but it's like acquisition and activation re- renewal. And the re- like retention is like this big one that lots of people don't really think about and then like revenue, but how do I go from somebody knows about me to revenue? But really then it's I got some revenue out of you perhaps. It was a good amount, perhaps it was just enough to show you're interested. How do I now make sure that I get that retention metric? And so the retention metric to me is like probably the most important part of your business because if you're not making people happy with your products, you're going to get some, you're going to be able to like make it look like you're successful and it's a lagging metric. Like you have to have somebody come use you for a little while. And they come to the point where they have to decide, do I keep using you or do I not use you? And that's like the really pivotal moment in tracking your customers and where they are in their life cycle of your engagement with them is like super important in in, in understanding how do I talk to you at every part of this time in a natural way that is helping you. Like, because customers love to talk to their vendors. They just, it's the right time. And it's not, can't always be, I'm going to sell you a new saying. Customers that don't like talking to you are like when it's, with a, always with a salesperson that's never there to listen to your problems, but always to like, can I get you? The, can I get you by this thing or can I get you by this thing? I think Tableau is a great company, but my experience with them was like, oh yeah, I would, I would have an account executive that her only purpose was to like learn when she could upgrade me to more seats or something. It was like, why would I talk to you? But if I, if every time I sit down with a customer and they say, yeah, here's the things I really need, and like, oh, you come back and make that system better. And maybe bring that figure out how their needs can be better served by your system. That's real value to them. Like every time they have a conversation, if things come out of it, focusing on the metrics, focusing on your customers and seeing what they want, but also being pretty honest with yourself of like, how will the world of the Twitter is like, we'll figure out how to make money later that's gone. <laughs> maybe there's still some places where that still exists, but not in that Like most of us have to like, really think very hard about how our customers are going to engage with us and
0: how the economics are going to work out for them. Yeah. And as I said, it it shouldn't be a transactional relationship. There should be more like, I really want to help. I really want to solve problems. And if you do that, guess what? They're going to buy the better product because you made it to their needs. That's right. And they, now there are definitely, you do have to validate people
1: a bit (laughs) because there's, and that's why the retention metric is so great because like you've already validated that they have a need and that they're a customer. And so If you focus all your energy, like a lot of folks will focus so much energy on just getting their growth numbers up, but the retention number, if that starts to go down, it can have overlapping, like long, much longer lasting effects. If my initial signups goes up by 10%, guess what? If I don't, if I don't keep working on that next week, it's going to go down. (laughs) So it's, that one's like a constant burn, whereas it really only affects for the next kind of week or something. So you could have the next product launch, you could have the next little bit and completely whatever your stage whatever your funnel kind of retention level is like some folks it's it's a a very small point right if buying gas whether you go to one point gas company or another it's going to change you're going to churn pretty quickly whereas some it's very long my friends and support is telling me yeah women don't change makeup (laughs) they just buy more of the same brand or less of the same brand there's that sort of thing so understanding your customer at the beginning is really important but when you lose you start to lose folks, and getting them back is very hard. But also, that's a compounding effect, and that compounding effect makes it so that you can be driving huge growth at the top of the funnel. But if you keep pushing, if you keep losing
0: them at the back of the funnel, then you can be in real trouble. Yeah, you know, we just have to retain those customers. Part of it. Yeah. So, Andy, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you or Storyfit, how could they do? So? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn is probably the best for me. We have
1: our, just Andy Terrell is on LinkedIn everywhere, but, the, but yeah, the, our, we have all our contact information on storyfit.com and we're always looking to find new people that are in the media entertainment system, the world that want to learn more about their, their products and, and, and the stories they're writing. Just all the ways on normal on the
0: internet, just storyfit.com will, you'll see us all. Thank you, Andy, for coming on the show and thank you everybody for listening to another episode of failing to success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki, and we'll see you next time.